Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. The Fez 1982 asks, What music do you and Stone listen to before the game? Well, it's pretty easy to figure out. If it's really slow, dull, and boring, it's Jason's choice. If it is a rocking theme that gets us ready to really move into this broadcast, then I've picked it out. May I reserve one minute for rebuttal, please? Uh, you can take uh, you can take up to and including six seconds. If it's on a loop of five songs only that Steve listens to over and over again, it's Steve's selection. Hey, you know today we heard the Downeaster Alexa three times pregame today. Yeah, but that's deceiving because roll with the changes. I mean, we hear that a lot. Ario Speedwagon, you got to admit those are the same. You got to admit that that's pretty good. Not to mention Iron Man. Iron Man? Yeah, Black Sabbath. One of my faves. Ozzy Osbourne, one of my favorite people. One of your favorite people? Yes. I've been trying to get you to listen to some some recent music, like uh, Hemorrhage by Fuel. And there is no, recent, there is no recent music. Well, Disturbed, Sounds of Silence, I mean, that's a staple. And that's, I mean, for you, that's that's upbeat. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that White Sox broadcast with Jason Benetti and Steve Stone. And if you're watching the game, you're usually following along on Twitter, you will see some tweets from at Tom Fornelli, who writes over there at CBS Sports and has long been an active writer and voice on the Chicago media scene. And you'll see some tweets from at Right Sox, W-R-I-T-E Sox. And really, that's just so you don't annoy your college football peeps over at the regular account. Is that is that true, Tom, who joins us right now on the Alpamonte Ford hotline? Alpamonte Ford is in Melrose Park. Do I have that reasoning correct? Yes, yes, you do. I just didn't want to alienate the people who follow me for the for the day job with yes. a bunch of White Sox tweets every single night. But can we spend a good 20 minutes talking about Steve and Jason's musical preferences? Because <laughs> while I wasn't shocked by Steve's Black Sabbath allegiance and liking Ozzy Osbourne, when he brought up the Disturbed, that kind of caught me off guard because that was more of a, a modern, you know, heavy metal kind of group. And I didn't know Steve went that far And because it's like while Disturbed is from Chicago and they yes. were popular for a while, yes. they're not like a huge, big name metal band. So the fact Steve was in there, it's like, okay, so he stuck them out. He was looking for that and he found it. 
And then also Jason talking about modern music and bringing up songs that came out 20 years ago. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, can I try to get you li- to listen to Fuel, which is what? 19- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this is the thing. As, as you get older, the things you like get older as well. This kind of <laughs> happens to Jason. And it obviously has happened to Stoney. But here's how I'm betting it happened for Steve. Disturbed, local, as you know, local mm-hmm. management, local producers, baseball fans. I know I know one of those producers is a big, big time uh, White Sox fan. Uh, Johnny K is his, is, his, is his name that he goes by. And I think he produced Disturbed. I bet he reached out and said, hey, if you like this, you'll really like this. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's how it went down. But, Maybe disturbed know. throughout like a first pitch or something. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's entirely <laughs> possible that that happened. Um, all right, so, so what are the names of the Sox blogs of Tom Fornelli's past? Uh, the Sox blogs and or Sox Twitter accounts. Not Hawk, the late, great Not Hawk. We all miss him, Tom. <laughs> yes, Not Hawk died many years ago because, you know, he, he saw cancel culture coming in, Speaks. He saw it coming on social media and said, I better get out of here. Or I, <laughs> I better get out while the getting is good. Yeah, that makes a lot of <laughs> yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, what, what have, what have, there have been other White Sox blogs, though, as part of your past, Tom. Yeah, I mean, White Sox is still technically alive, although I very rarely write there. It's just sometimes I'll get inspired to write something and jump on. But it was it's White mm-hmm. Sox. It's... Southside Asylum was the original one, and there we go way back in the day to foul balls. These are all, you know, I get bored and just start a new website every single once in a while, and it seems yeah. that no matter what the intention of the website is, it always comes back to the White Sox at some well, point. You know, well, most conversational roads go back to the White Sox these days when you're talking baseball. Padres or White Sox is what you end up doing. Tampa Rays just went 21-4 and over a 25-game span. Okay, good for them. Let's talk more about the White Sox. Um, who makes that catch other than Luis Robert in all of, of baseball? I said Byron Buxton, um, maybe Kevin Pillar. I think that's the list. At this uh, yeah, point. I don't think I don't think Mike Trout makes it anymore. I think maybe like five years ago, Mike Trout could make that catch. But I, I think that, you know, even he's kind of starting to lose a step out there in center field, so he can't do it. But, yeah, that's – I think right now it's him and Buxton, maybe Pilar, just because Pilar's so good at getting jumps on balls and getting reads off the bat. But, I mean, that was just – when I was – the strangest thing about that catch last night was as I saw it going, when they first cut the camera angle and you saw Robert running it down, I thought he was going to catch it. Like, it's like, oh, he's got that. It just, you had that kind of sense, and then he makes that dive to get there. Like, I would have been more surprised, just, and this is a testament to what Luis Robert has done since he came up and just how he has looked. And, like, you know, seeing all the highlights from when he was in the minors making all these kinds of catches that I saw, I saw where the ball was, I saw where he was, and I said, oh, he's going to catch it. And I would have been more surprised had he not gotten to it. So it was just, it was an amazing catch. And it's really, it's, it's so very exciting to watch him play. And it's weird because when you look at the White Sox in the last few years, they've had these prospects come up. In my entire lifetime of being a White Sox fan, is aside from like Frank Thomas, Jack McDowell, Robin Ventura, like that four-year run, every single prospect that came up, Hawk Harrelson told you he was a 5 tool player and he was going to be great, and then he was never that good. But now the last few years, these guys are coming up, and they're all good. And as good as they are, Luis Robert is just completely outshining all of them to this point. Yeah, he really is. Um, The tools are all there, and the surface is just really being scratched on the big league level 
of, of what he can be and the way that they're all talking about him. I mean, Adam Engel has had front row seat for the last the last two or three things. And Adam Engel is essentially all of us as he reacts, as he reacted to that catch running by like, oh, man, yeah. I can't believe he caught that thing. And and Giolito was, was beautiful last night. Hey, Sean, do we have Giolito talking about Robert last night? And this is the kind of thing that all of them are saying, just kind of in awe of, of their new teammate and, and what he can do on the field. It, it's it's really just been just it's been tremendous because they're all seeing just the possibilities and knowing uh, that there's a lot more there. What he, it, it's interesting that, that you're now correlating it going back to like the Jarrett Mitchells of of the world yeah. and and the Courtney <laughs> Hawkinses of the world and guys that Kenny Williams had the athletic hots for that never really showed up and gave you this kind of thing. This feels satisfying in the grand scope of White Soxdom, it seems to yeah, me. Yeah, we, we, we've gone a long way from Courtney Hawkins doing a backflip in Studio 42 to Luis Robert making that catch last night. It's, it's just, it's one of those things. And it's, when you watch him, it's like, because you, you said the way that his teammates are talking about him and you see him playing and you really sit there and you look and it's like, man, the White Sox might have a genuine superstar player on their hands. Because this is a guy where if you look at him as a hitter, he's, you know, he, he's really struggling with play, pitch recognition. He's getting fooled on all these sliders, but he's still putting up great, fantastic numbers for a young hitter. And you sit there and you look and you say, man, if, this, if the light ever switches on for this kid as far as recognizing a slider out of you know, the pitcher's hand and being able to realize I don't need to swing at this pitch, if he, gets, if he could tighten up his pitch recognition at the plate and just become a little more selective, this is a guy who could be, like I mentioned Mike Trout earlier about somebody who might make that catch. This is, you know, Eloy Jimenez made that kind of comparison in the spring before everything got shut down, and he said, yeah. oh, yeah, he's Mike Trout. He might actually be a Mike Trout-ish player if he's able to refine his plate approach a little more instead of just relying on the fact that he has, you know, the qu- really quick hands and a very powerful swing. Abreu the other day called him Mike Trout of the Cubans. Um, so, you know, considering the, uh, the, the entire connection, um, there it is. Talking to Tom Fornelli about the White Sox right here on 670 The Score. So I asked um, Steve Stone the other day about Dylan Cease, Game 3 starter in the postseason, and he answered the question talking about both Cease and Dane Dunning which is a clear indication that he's not mm-hmm. very convinced about Dylan Cease. Um, where are you on starting pitching depth, and who do you trust beyond Keiko Giolito right now? I, I don't really trust anybody. I'm kind of with Steve. It's like you look at Dylan Cease, and it's like, okay, he's got a 3.29 ERA. You think that's good. It's just when you look at like his FIP or his XFIP and all that stuff, those are around six, and that generally – doesn't bode well for the future of what's going to happen. It suggests he's been getting a little bit luckier than he has been, but even more so, like if you compare him to Keuchel, who has been a fantastic signing for the White Sox so far, and it's just I'm, I'm mad at myself for ever doubting it because I was very skeptical about that move, and I'm still kind of skeptical about it two years from now, but for this year, it's been absolutely fantastic. But when we think of Dallas Keuchel, he is a pitch-to-contact kind of guy. He's throwing you know, in the upper 80s with his fastball. He's trying to get you to ground out to third as much as possible. Dylan Cease is coming up now with like a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. This is a guy that's supposed to be blowing people away. He's got the same strikeout rate as Dallas Keuchel does. 
That is not something that I think is a good sign, nor is it something that I think we were expecting from Cease, just based on his stuff. He's supposed to be like a kind of – he's got the same kind of approach that Giolito has with you know fastballs high in the zone and then the breaking ball coming off the same plane. It's just Giolito, even though he's only throwing 94, his fastball is 100 times harder for hitters to deal with than Cease's is because Giolito's got that you know elite carry on his fastball that Cease just doesn't have. So – when I'm looking at like pitching matchups in a possible playoff series, I'm not very confident in Dylan Cease in Game Three. And like you said, Steve Stone bringing up Dane Dunning—that's a scary situation simply because Dunning has made three starts so far in his major league career, and I'm kind of with Steve. Of all the options right now, Dunning seems like the most appealing, and we've yet to really see him get through an order three times without getting, you know, starting to get lit up. So. It's it's a serious problem that I think they need to consider, and maybe we're looking at a situation where in the playoffs, you know, Giolito's your game one starter, Keiko's your game two starter, and then maybe game three is kind of an opener-type bullpen kind of game that where you got Cease going for a couple innings, Dunning following him up for a couple of innings, and you just kind of figure it out from there. Boy, you know, one of those games, your third or your fourth might end up being that way. And you might find yourself survivable, but having your third be that way means you better feel real good about your fourth, which is Rodon, theoretically, if he's back. There's only, there's two off days this week. Monday and Thursday are off days. It's a little two-gamer in between with the Pirates. And then there's 17 games in 17 Mm -hmm. days to finish up the year. So you're, you're talking about, what, another four starts? At most, and depending on yeah. when Gordon Rodon comes back, you're talking about three starts, maybe two, before the playoffs hit. I don't know if I'll be able to trust that. So I think you might have to separate Cease and Dunning with um, either either Rodon or Gio Gonzalez to back up both of them, which might end up being okay. You're right about Cease's fastball. It's very straight. It's very straight. And 97 or 98, very straight, is not they enough. Hit it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's not enough. I will say, though, you know what is super refreshing is that we're talking about White Sox starting rotation problems as far as starting game three of a playoff series. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and you're doing it. You're doing it in the bonus year. You're doing yeah. it in year four of the rebuild plan when competing this year should feel like gravy and is gravy. And that's why I was okay with not making a big pitching move Mm -hmm. uh, of consequence. Um, But looking back on it now, maybe they should have just gotten somebody. I don't know. Taiwan Walker, Ross Stripling. Like, would you feel better with one of those Jamokes in there? I I, see. I I probably would just, sense wise but i don't know it's like once you saw them starting a few games that would probably wear out because it's like those guys are good it's just they're not really the type of guys where you sit there thinking oh yeah that's that's the old reliable starter that we need in the playoffs i think i would have felt better about like a lance lynn type but again the reason they didn't do that is because apparently the asking price that the rangers had on him was pretty high for somebody that's only got one year of control left and even lance lynn for as good as he's been over the last you know 12 15 months he still doesn't have an extended track record of being the guy that he's been so you'd have to question what he could be in the playoffs. But it's it's one of those refreshing problems to have. I'm so very happy that instead of worrying about what the number four prospect in the team's organizational chart is doing in Birmingham, I'm sitting here wondering, you know, with a couple <laughs> weeks left of the season, 
Who's going to start game three against the Yankees yeah. in the first round? Yeah, these are the, these are the good issues. A texter brings up Keenan Walker and would like us to put him on the list <laughs> of the toolsy outfield athletic types that Kenny Williams has been smitten with before. All right, um, as you look at awards, um, we just, we're coming off the month of Marco Patti, where Fernando Tatis was player of the year in the National <laughs> League, Abreu player of the year in the American League, Robert rookie of the year in the American League. Um, I think Robert is your front, front, front runner for rookie of the year because he's got narrative and flash plays in addition to being excellent. I'll do respect to Kyle Lewis um, in Seattle. Who, who else is going to win an award on this team? Abreu have a real shot for MVP? I think Abreu does have a legitimate shot, just simply being on like kind of like what you're talking about with the narrative of the White Sox being competitive. While people thought they were going to be good, nobody expected them to be, you know, 25 and 15, two thirds of the way through the season and in first place in the Central. And it's mostly been, while this offense overall has been very, very good, especially, you know, as far as hitting home runs. Abreu really does have that whole kind of clutch factor going on that always seems to matter in MVP races in that he is the guy that's driving in runs consistently, and he's hitting like 310 with runners on. And every time the White Sox need that hit and there's a runner on that needs to, they need to get in, it seems like he's the guy that's delivering the hit. And it's just when you look at him, he's pretty much having like a career year at his age, when I was, you know, when they signed him to the extension over the winter, I was like, man, you have to sign him because of who he is as far as how important he is in that clubhouse to those young guys. But I was living in complete and utter terror of what he was going to be production-wise just based on the fact of how he performed last year and even a little bit in the season before where you could see the decline starting. But that decline is gone. He's completely erased it where it just makes you think maybe it was a 12-month 12, 12 slump and now he's come out of it. So, if you if you look at everything that when it comes to an MVP voting that voters typically look for, he's checking all the boxes, and it's like it, it's it's a legit thing that he could be the White Sox first MVP since their last first baseman to win it, Frank Thomas. Could be Tom. Great stuff, man. This was fun. We'll do it again. I, I would love to. Thanks for having me on, Matt. All right, yeah, and I'm um you know actually we need to do five more minutes on how I've clawed my way out of last place in our fantasy league. It took me a long time after a terrible terrible start, but I believe I'm 12th out of 14. As of right now, yeah, I'll yeah, you're climbing up. Yeah, climbing. It's taking a long time. It's ugly. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> That's Tom Fornelli right there on 670 The Score. It's Matt Spiegel here with you. It is hit and run. Uh, White Sox just released their probables for the Pirates series. Dylan Cease against Joe Musgrove on Tuesday. Wednesday is listed as TBA. That would be the Ronaldo Lopez spot. It's not going to be him, folks. I don't. I don't think he'll be back this year. Um, I, I assume that'll be Dane Dunning. I don't know why you wouldn't just say Dane Dunning, uh, but uh, they're not saying it as of right now. Look, let's talk about the best pitcher in town and the somewhat improbable bromance that now we look at with a clear eye and it makes all the sense in the world. A beat writer in town followed up on the bromance for the best pitcher in Chicago. We will discuss next Cardinals and Cubs in focus the rest of the hour. Joe Roderick on the Cardinals angle at about 1040. That's all right here on 670 The Score. Darvish is ready and fires to Miller. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Number 10 for Darvish. I told you last time too, but I, I didn't want to think about that. Just, you know, if I, you know, start thinking that, you know, you know, I will fail, you know. That's why, you know, I want to, you know, focus next pitch. So next game's first pitch. So I don't want to think about that. That is you, Darvish, refusing, refusing conversation 
about the Cy Young Award that he is the front runner for in the National League. 7-0, seven starts of at least six innings pitched with one or zero runs allowed. His teammates call it win day when you Darvish goes. And we are seeing him work this deliberately, this comfortably. And um, Jesse Rogers did a great job following up on the bromance between you Darvish and Trevor Bauer this week. Uh, Jesse talked to Bauer, who said, um, I probably know his arsenal of pitches more than anyone besides him, said Trevor Bauer about you Darvish. There's a 2013 strikeout montage of all his strikeouts from that season. I have it memorized. It's like a seven to eight minute video. I can see it in my head. It was a big inspiration for me looking at his arsenal. Think about it. Bauer might throw 19 to 20 different pitches in terms of their types, speed, varietals. Darvish throws a lot like that. It's probably a lot fewer than that for both of them, but the batters fear that they're going to throw all that kind of stuff. And Bauer and Darvish have forged a friendship because Bauer told you how much he likes him, how much he admires him. And Darvish reached out a lot last year when he was struggling. And Bauer said to him, hey, you've got the best stuff in the big leagues. Throw it over the white thing and let people beat you. It's a lesson that kids and uh, veterans have to learn over and over and over again, isn't it? But there is a material difference. There is a specific stuff-related difference for you, Darvish, since the All-Star break last year, and it's the cutter, the cut fastball. Uh, and Bauer was talking about it. He says it adds another dimension of deception for the hitter. It has slightly opposite movement to the fastball. He calls it Darvish's anchor because it's not a 97 or 98-mile-an-hour fastball. It's not a 65 or 70-mile-an-hour curveball. He throws it, and you, if you're watching, you see the miles per hour on it on the cutter. It's between 85 and 88. When you see that range, it's usually the cut fastball, and you'll see it cut to the left on your screen. And that pitch, says Darvish and Bauer, has opened everything up. Bauer says they can't sit fastball, and they can't sit on the slow stuff. It pins them in the middle. And yes... The, the numbers back it up. Darvish is throwing his cutter way, way more since the All-Star break last year and all of this year. He's throwing it almost 50% of the time this year, more than any pitcher in the majors. He's got sliders and curves and splitters and a change and all that stuff. But it's the cutter. That is absolutely driving things for you, Darvish. One other thing about that article and about Trevor Bauer. I love that Bauer remembers um, what I have often called the greatest gif in baseball history. And now you see it all the time. Like Pitching Ninja will put stuff up there on Twitter like four times a, a day, maybe more. But at the time, it was the first gif I had ever seen that did this with the pitching overlays. And it was all of Darvish's pitches. You remember this, Sean? It was like five or six years ago. And it was the greatest GIF of uh, the greatest sports GIF of all time. And now there's been so many that, you know, I'm sure there are better ones. But it was all of the different pitches at the same time. And you could see them all going different ways. Bauer said, I remember there was a video of him facing the angel angels and he had like seven pitches coming out looking exact the same time. That was back before anyone understood what tunneling was.
I just retweeted something on uh, at hit and run 670 if you want to see it. It is one of the overlays that you're talking about. It's from last year against the Cardinals, and you see an 83-mile-per-hour slider, an 81 curve, a 96 fastball, and a 92-mile-per-hour changeup. All that uh, had swinging strikes result of, of the pitch. From Darvish? Yeah, from Darvish. All right, beautiful. Thank you. At hit and run. Hit and run 670. And I will retweet it as well. There it is. It's Pitching Ninja on Darvish. And this isn't the one that, that Bauer was talking about, but because that was from years ago. But it gets the point across. Um, as you're watching that, and if you guys out there in Radioland have seen GIFs like this, where it looks like one ball, and then they all split in different directions. I learned this week that Eno Saris, the great Eno Saris from The Athletic, has a phrase for this. You know what he calls it? Peeling the banana. How great is that? Because it looks like the banana is getting peeled. As as you're doing it, it's like, oh, I got a banana. And then the peels go in four or three different directions. I love that. 670, the score is where you are. Very cool that those two guys have uh, connected in the way that they have. Let's get some calls in here on 670, the score. Northsider Ken has dialed the number, 312-644-6767. That's how you call and that's how you text here on 670, the score. And he joins us right now on Hit and Run. Good morning, Ken. What's up? Uh, Matt, Matt Spiegel, it is so great to talk to you. I listen to you all the time. I was so happy when you got this, this gig for, for Hit and Run that even though it was like 7.30 in the morning, I had a stella to, to, to celebrate. I, I love your work. I, I called you once last year about the same time to beg that we move Brian down in the order he was showing mm. us. Now now I'm going to give you some statistical reasons why Baez should be batting ninth right now. Okay, okay. are you ready? Yeah. All right. Right now, Bias has not only been unproductive, and you know how many times he's gone zero for four. He even struck out four times in a row. He's not only been un, he's not only having unproductive outs. He's actually been a rally killer, batting in the third or fourth position. So we need to move him down in the order. Now this year is a unique thing. We have the DH. Okay, with the DH, there's no pitcher batting ninth. So. The guy batting eighth is going to is going to get some decent pitches, but right now we have a very special situation on the Cubs. Our best hitter bats number one. You could have Bias bat in the ninth position. He would be seeing more strikes because of that same reason. You don't want to you don't want to accidentally put him on base and have your clubber come up. My question to you is: Are you close enough to um, to David Ross to get this? this kind of observation to him. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. If, yeah. if you're not, wait, if you're not, can you tell Coombdog to tell him just to consider this? It's so stupid to have one productive, one, one out after another, one rally kill after another. We would have won three games. There's been, a, you can count them, last five weeks. There's been at least four times when we've had men on third base with one out or less and uh, buy us up. And he either strikes out or, or you know, weekly flies out or, or you know, uh, uh, that yeah. kind of stuff. I so. feel you, Ken. I, I, look, I could pass this kind of stuff on. Uh, Ron Coomer talks to him before every game, and you hear it on pregame, which will happen tonight. What time is pregame tonight, Sean? The game is on ESPN. I mentioned Watch Marquee earlier, uh, where I've been watching all the Cubs games and enjoying them. 
But uh, it's on ESPN tonight on Sunday night. But um, pregame will begin here on 670. The score, I'm going to say 5 p.m. 5 p.m. 608 first pitch. 608 is your first pitch. So 5 p.m. is pregame tonight. Uh, Coom uh, often listens to this show. So let's hope Coom was listening to that segment. Let's pass that on. I, I will do that much for you, Ken. I will pass this on, this information on to Coom. And then he can decide whether he wants to pass that on to Ross. But I hear you, man. I feel you. Baez is incredibly frustrating to watch right now, as is Brian. And I, I understand where you're coming from and appreciate the passion and the kind words as well. 670, the score, is where you are. Back to the phone lines we go. Tim is in Forest Park on Hit and Run. Good morning, Tim. Yeah, I just I, I just want to comment a little bit about Jose Abreu. Yeah, you know I don't feel that he's getting his props in in the press. Uh, you know this is a guy that led the league in RBIs last year. You know batting in a lineup that had you know maybe three other major league hitters. You know what I mean he was hitting a lineup with with guys like Yonder Alonso and you know Ryan Cordell and you know guys that just aren't very good hitters and yet he leads the league in RBIs. You know, and now we're seeing what he can do when he's surrounded with a real major league, you know, batting order. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and the other thing is, I don't know how many games you've watched, but, you know, another knock on him is he doesn't play good defense. No, he's better. And while he's I, better now. He's much yeah, better on I mean, defense. Mm-hmm. He's, he's playing gold glove caliber defense this season. I wouldn't so, you know, say that. I'll, 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 I'll say that's a stretch. I've seen a couple of plays. There had, I, I, watch, I watch all the games. I've, I've seen a couple of plays – where he had to come off the bag where another first baseman might not have. He's, he makes a lot more plays than he used to. And he has kept himself um, in tremendous physical condition and seems to be more limber this year, as I've seen him flop to the ground to make a few plays and, and things like that. And I will give him credit for improved defense, but he's not Freddie Freeman out there. He's not Anthony Rizzo out there. He's, he's, uh, there's a lot of guys that, he, that he's not quite. But he's... I don't know where you're not seeing enough appreciation or hearing enough appreciation, but um, I had a meeting. I had a one-man meeting of the Jose Abreu Appreciation Society right here on Hit and Run. I traced his entire life a couple of weeks ago, and I think that he should be the MVP for this team ahead of Tim Anderson. Whether he is the MVP for the American League or not remains to be seen, but he has, he's been absolutely tremendous and incredibly consistent in home runs and RBI. And uh, some of the peripheral um, analytics were down on him a bit over the past couple years, but they are not down this year. He has stepped forward in a, in a wonderful way at a moment when the, the team is very, very good. So it, it's, a terrific, it's a terrific story. It's a terrific time for Jose Abreu. And, and I assure you, he is getting uh, some of the love that he does deserve around the league. Hey, one more thing on the White Sox before we take a break. I mentioned earlier that Lucas Giolito had said things about Luis Robert last night that really dovetail with what all the White Sox teammates uh, have been saying. Let's hear Lucas Giolito on Luis Robert after being asked about the catch on the very first pitch of the ninth inning last night. Uh, he Just about every night he does something that, that makes jaws drop, man. I mean, he's... I can't say enough good things about him. Uh, the stuff that you guys don't see, how much work he puts in, how much he wants to learn, how much he wants to get better. 
he, he he's an unbelievable player. Uh, he's only going to get better and better. Um, very, very happy he's on our team. That's uh, Lucas Giolito talking about Luis Robert. Luis Robert is hitting sixth in the lineup today. Uh, White Sox taking on the Royals at 105, your first pitch. Anderson, Grandal, Abreu, Encarnacion, Jimenez, Robert, Mazzara, Nomar Mazzara, uh, Danny Mendick, Yomer Sanchez at third base today. Yomer Sanchez at third base today as Yohan Moncada continues to struggle physically still with, with lingering issues from his coronavirus battle. Dallas Keuchel, your starting pitcher. Um, James McCann has been very good. And Grandal, who homered last night, was asked about McCann in the lineup. And Grandal continues to be uh, a really good teammate, saying McCann is, is hot. we got to get him in there somehow, some way. The stick is too good for McCann right now. He's got to play. Grandal doesn't care if he DHs or if he catches. Well, he's catching today. He's catching Keuchel today. That's interesting because uh, McCann has been catching Keuchel just about all the time, the former Arkansas teammates. But now McCann is in there catching Giolito every time which is why Grandal was asked about it last night, and he's okay with that. Here's Grandal catching Keuchel. Has he caught him yet this year? I'll have to look. We'll have that answer by the end of the show as I, we continue to talk about both teams. I do have the answer, though, uh, to, to, to something we were wondering. Uh, Whit Merrifield now only 233, or 2,344 games away from breaking Cal Ripken's streak. He's starting and leading off for the Royals. Okay, well, we don't know. Until he actually gets on the field, we can't give him that number. But yeah, that's that's your longest active consecutive game streak here on the 25th anniversary of Cal Ripken getting to 2,131. What do the St. Louisians, the St. Louisians, the St. the people from St. Louis, what do they think about the Cardinals and this big five-game series that stands at 2-1 St. Louis after the doubleheader sweep yesterday? We talked to Joe Roderick about it next. The last American League switch hitter to win Most Valuable Player is up at 11 o'clock. The last switch hitter to win American League MVP joins us at 11 o'clock. Looking forward to it on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. And the 1-2 from Gallegos. And Rizzo swings and misses strike three, and the ball game is over. I thought he might have fouled it, but Molina hung on to it. The ball game is over. The Cardinals win game one. Gallego strikes out Rizzo with a blazing fastball. The final 4-2 St. Lou. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. It is Hit and Run, your venerable Sunday morning baseball show. Top of the hour, it's the last switch hitter to win the American League MVP. It's a trick question, but it's a real question because the answer is Vita Blue, the Cy Young Award winner and MVP from 1971. It's the last switch hitter to win American League MVP. Amazing but true. And he was a switch hitter. Look at the splits. Hit lefty against right-handed pitchers and right-handed against left-handed pitchers. That's how it works. Let's talk Cubs and Cardinals with Joe Roderick who you hear and read at Claves Online, What a Rush Pod as well. And you can find him on Twitter at Joe Roderick, who joins us right now on 670 to score on the Alpamani Ford hotline. Alpamani Ford is in Melrose Park. Joe, good morning, man. How are you? 
I'm good, Matt. How's everything up there? Uh, it's good, man. Um, ugly yesterday for the Cubs behind the eight ball when the series, uh, the, the doubleheader was announced on paper. Um, and then I said slammed into the corner pocket on the field as Albert Alzali turned both games into bullpen days. Um, Adam Wainwright, what has gotten into Adam Wainwright, first of all, who has found some sort of fountain here at the age of, I believe, 39 for Adam Wainwright? You know, he was like this last year, too, and I really think that what started it was he's been signing one-year deals that are just filled with incentives. Last year, he he did that, and I want to say he reached every single incentive along the way to make as much money as possible, and he did the same thing again this year, and you see him go out there, and he's been – pretty dominant so far in, in the early stages of this. I mean, it seems like the early stages of the season, especially for the Cardinals with that two-week break. It's been it's just been so much fun to watch, and part of me is waiting for the wheels to fall off, but I think as long as he has something important money-wise to pitch for, he's, he's going to go out there and, and keep doing what he's been doing. You know what's so funny? It does feel like the early stages of the season, especially for the Cardinals, who played only 31 games. But we're in, we're well into the final month of the season. It just, it is the very nature of it. Um, when you say the wheel, waiting for the wheels to kind of fall off, I'm wondering about the pitching itself. Somehow, some way, with everything that has gone on, the Cardinals have the second best team ERA in baseball, in the National League, behind the Dodgers. It's it's just, it's remarkable. And with all these doubleheaders still to come, how are they holding it together, uh, Joe, as you're watching? What, what is the key to them holding it together at this point? I, I think that the organization, for as bad of a job as they have done developing hitters and power hitters in this lineup, they have done an exceptional job of loading it with, pitching and you look at if this was a normal season you would see double a and triple a just loaded with guys that were waiting for their chance but the way that this season has played out i want to say a week that weekend against the cubs when they first came back and they had the white Sox and then the cubs back to back they had already had as many pitchers pitch for them that they did all of 2019 so they have just been throwing out arms uh, just left and right this this whole season and you've you have seen all of these names that we have heard about okay maybe this guy in a few years maybe that guy in a few years and they've been forced into spot starts they've been forced into two three inning appearances and these seven inning double headers and Mike Schild has done a really good job and the organization has done a good job of constantly moving these guys back and forth, whether it's from the, the, the team in Springfield or the, the group they have in Springfield, Missouri, or the taxi squad. It's gotten to the point this year with all these doubleheaders, it's, it's near impossible to keep up with the way that the roster looks right now and who's even on the, the active roster for, for tonight's game. You know, and, and, but, but he's, they're getting it done and I, I got to say, the way that they're talking about it, the way that they're thinking about it is is the way that you have to these days in, in the modern baseball. I saw one of the pitchers talking about it saying, we just kind of don't care where we're utilized. 
we're just getting outs. Whoever's out there, just get outs. And Craig Council has forced his pitching staff to think about it that way in Milwaukee. He calls his pitchers out-getters. I don't know how much Mike Schilt has embraced that philosophy and passed that forward, but the days of having, you know, defined, much more defined roles, starter, middle reliever, late reliever, et cetera, is kind of over, and especially in a weird-ass season like this. And with that in mind... Is Giovanni Gallegos officially the closer? He might be the guy you trust the most, but I've seen Andrew Miller be used to to finish games. Uh, Carlos Martinez uh, was used last year to finish games. I mean, are there well-defined roles in the bullpen, or might you see anybody at a at a moment's notice? Oh, yeah, absolutely no no defining roles. Uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday was supposed to be Adam Wainwright starting game one, Dakota Hudson starting game two. And then KK goes on the injured list, and then the game two becomes a bullpen game, and you see Ryan Helsley, who going into this year, KK was the closer. They come back from the two-week absence, and KK's in the in the rotation. Ryan Helsley was kind of that second in line to be the closer. Ryan Helsley had COVID, so Ryan Helsley had to work his way back. Gallego started the year with COVID. He was late even coming into summer camp because he had COVID, and he was lights out last year. He he was such a, a dominant pitcher all of last year, but was never really used in that closer role. He was kind of that seven, eight-inning guy to bridge that gap to Carlos Martinez or whoever they had closing. And then Andrew Miller, you guys, I mean, I think it's, you know, pretty well known around baseball that he just is thrown into any situation. And when he's on, he's on. So they have so many different arms that they're throwing in there. And, you know, Austin Gomber gets the start yesterday. Austin Gomber is a guy who normally would be that middle of the game type of uh, type of guy, Ponce de Leon, who I don't see him as a long-term starter, but right now he was in the rotation as a starter. There are, and that's where that that speaks to the depth of the pitching rotation or the just the pitching system that the Cardinals have is there might be four or five guys who are definitely starters, mm-hmm. and then everybody else it is as you mentioned, just go out there, get out, figure out a way to get twenty seven outs twenty one outs, however whatever kind of game they're playing that day. Yeah, Austin Gomber is the one who yesterday said, you get the ball and you try to go as long as you can. It's less of a traditional role. The new rules, the three batter minimum, just how our schedule sets up. I feel like it's just whoever's out there, get as many as you can and pass it on to the next guy. Um, All right, second uh, best ERA in the National League, third best in all of baseball behind the Dodgers and the Cleveland Indians. I don't know if we'll hold up. Double headers still to come on Tuesday and on Thursday, do you think Jack Flaherty was taken out of the game early on Friday night in part so they could bring him back as one of the guys pitching in that doubleheader Tuesday? Would they do that, Joe? I don't I don't know if that might have been the reason. I I think that we have seen Jack Flaherty struggle a little bit. He has not been as dominant as, as he was the second half of last season. And for Adam, we, we were talking about Adam Wainwright, for his well-prepared as he was to enter this season, it still seems like Jack Flaherty is learning how to pitch in Major League Baseball. And I still expect him at some point in his career to win a Cy Young, but I think that there might have been a little setback this season. And we, we talked to him a few weeks ago. I don't know if you saw the picture or the video that when they were stuck in Milwaukee, when they were just stuck there in their rooms, 
and he was trying to figure out a way to play catch. He was trying to figure out a way to, to keep in shape. And he took the mattress and put it up against the wall and they delivered five baseballs to his door. And he was just standing in one side of the uh, hotel room, throwing baseballs into the mattress a, a few feet away just to try to stay in shape. And that's what some of these guys are having to deal with and what they had to deal with during this, because, you know, during the two week break, these guys that are living in apartments in St. Louis, they had nowhere to really go out and play catch. They were really just stuck in their rooms where a guy like Adam Wainwright, who has been established in town and has a house, was able to actually go outside and, and play catch and play long toss. So all of these factors, as, as you mentioned, this weird, weird season has kind of come into play and you're seeing who, who was able to be prepared for it. Hmm. It's, here's, here's what I don't get. I don't get where the offense is coming from for the St. Louis Cardinals. We're talking about Joe Roderick. Tyler O'Neill in left field has, uh, has an OPS of 681. Harrison Bader in center has an OPS of 774. Uh, Dylan Carlson, the, the highly um, thought of rookie, playing a lot of right, has an OPS of 458. I guess the answer is the home run and RBI leader for the Cardinals, Brad Miller. What the hell, man? This is <laughs> this is crazy. But yeah, Brad Miller is a godsend, isn't he? It, he really is. And I'm glad you went with OPS there because those numbers do sound a lot better than the 180 batting averages that most of the outfield has. At least when you get into <laughs> OPS, those those numbers they're not good, but they sound better. They they're higher numbers. So we can we can pretend that that's a good thing. But you look at this outfield, Dexter Fowler for as much of a roller coaster career that he's had in St. Louis was carrying the outfield offense uh, that out the outfield offense has been batting seven, eight, nine so many times this year for the Cardinals. It, it's been embarrassing. And you saw that they had to put Tommy Edmond out into the outfield just to get, yeah. you know, just to try to improve the bats that were out there. I think, I, I think I saw today that, the outfield was something like seven for 38 since Dexter Fowler went on the injured list. That's, that's really, really bad for three positions that you expect something from. And yeah, Brad Miller, I, re, I was down at spring training and that's when he was signed. He was signed the first week of, of spring training. We're looking like, who is this Brad Miller guy? Okay. He's just going to be another maybe a Jed Jerko type. And sure enough, I, he's come in here and he's provided that, that pop to protect Paul Goldschmidt in the lineup, but they need something. And it, it's, it's so, so frustrating when you look around baseball and you see Marcelo Zuna having the season that he's having, you see Steven Piscotty's hitting somewhere around 270, Randall Grichik's hitting around 280, uh, Luke Voigt uh, for what he's done in New York. And, you know, we're not talking about guys the Cardinals could have gone out there and, and gotten if they wanted. We're talking about guys that were in the organization that provide that are providing a pop in the lineup for all these other teams, and the Cardinals just have let them walk so many times. And, yeah, Dylan Carlson, too, just has not really lived up to expectations. And I imagine you give him a pass this season, and hopefully something something starts at some point. Joe, thanks so much for the time, man. Appreciate you, and uh, it's it's been fun. This is the last the last meeting between the Cardinals and the Cubs, so we won't be doing this again this year. But <laughs> but but thanks thanks so much, man. Appreciate you. We'll talk. <laughs>
Absolutely, man. Anytime. There you got it. It's Joe Roderick from St. Louis. Um, sports media and sports radio right there. All right. Coming up next on Hit and Run. One more hour to go. Uh, oh, here for one more hour on Hit and Run. Won't be here next week because it's the Bears home opener. The Bears opener, I should say, against the Detroit Lions. By the way, Matt Nagy going to talk later today. Mitchell Trubisky talking later today. Nick Foles talking later today. Whatever. Baseball continues. Vita Blue is on the show with me talking pitching, social issues, baseball, and whatever else we get into. Really looking forward to it. We'll do that next on 670 The Score. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love. Hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.